33 years ago this week, on February 14, 1990, the Voyager 1 spacecraft turned its camera around to take some final pictures. From a distance of 3.7 billion miles, 40 times the distance of the Earth from the Sun, a photograph of Earth was taken, the only home we have ever known. Would you change the slide? Probably can't see it. It's a little, it's a little bit... Uh, That is the Earth, right there. Next slide might be a little clearer. There's the Earth. 40 times the distance from the Earth from the Sun. That was one of the last pictures that the Voyager spacecraft took before shutting off its cameras. The astronomer Carl Sagan wrote these words about it. From this distant vantage point, the Earth might not seem of any particular interest, but for us it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you have ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Our perception of reality depends on our perspective. From here on earth, events of our lives have tremendous significance. Even something as minor as a toothache can reduce the universe to itself, can it? But from a distance of nearly four billion miles, the perspective changes. The universe is vaster than we can imagine. And we are but a teeny tiny part of it. Today's gospel would have us consider our perspective on Jesus on discipleship and on ourselves. Poor Peter. When Jesus began talking about what messiahship really entailed, it flew in the face of his expectations. Peter did not expect the Messiah to suffer and die. While the prophets, especially Isaiah, Daniel, and Zechariah, speak of a time of suffering before God's redemption would be made known, Peter doesn't expect such suffering to happen to Jesus. But in fact, Jesus quite literally fleshes out these words. Perhaps Peter thought the Messiah would be a new King David, a man after God's own heart, who would unite the tribes of Israel once more and drive out the Roman occupiers. Or perhaps he thought the Messiah would be a great healer and teacher. After all, Jesus was a great healer and teacher. 
the embodiment of Lady Wisdom from the Book of Proverbs, uniting Israel by words rather than by the sword. Whatever Peter expected, he did not expect this. His perspective on Messiahship is limited. While the other disciples presumably stand in shocked silence, Peter takes this moment to tell Jesus, hey, that's not in the script. Well, Peter is undoubtedly concerned for his own self-preservation. After all, followers of a leader could be, expect to be next after the leader was taken care of. There's no reason to doubt an equal motivation from love. After all, Peter and his brother left the family business, along with their associates, James and John, to follow Jesus. They left behind families, spouses, and children. Deep, Peter is deeply concerned for Jesus' welfare. There's love behind Peter's words. For Jesus to speak of his death and resurrection as the outcome of his mission and not a consequence of it must have been deeply disturbing. It must have sounded like suicide. But even love can be twisted against Jesus' divine mission. Unbeknownst to Peter, he's speaking from the devil's logic of power and glory. The logic that holds tight to the things of this world. We saw this same kind of logic at play in the third temptation of Jesus. All the kingdoms of the earth I will give you if you but fall down and worship me. Grab the reins of power, Jesus. Bring the kingdom of heaven in by force. That's the logic of the devil right there. It's painful when the logic shows up in a loved one, even when the motive, and especially if the motive is out of love, Jesus, however, will not be deterred. And he doesn't hesitate to call it out. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus says. You're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Unfortunately, we too can fall prey to the devil's logic. We can be tempted to think that if we don't hold tightly to our power, our privilege, our possessions, we'll lose everything. I hope you don't mind for a second, but here are a few examples that I see. Is it any wonder that there are more guns than people in the United States? Deep-seated fear of losing. Or a long history of restrictive housing covenants in this country. Or laws that protect corporations at the expense of communities and individuals. See East Palestine, Ohio, for instance. And while it's easy to blame those in power, and we do blame those in power all the time, don't we? We can easily lose sight that we all fall prey to this. We can find ourselves so insecure about who we are and what we have that we grasp for more and more and jealously guard what we have. We can be so frightened. The best example of this is the apocryphal quote from John D. Rockefeller. When he was asked, how much money is enough? He is reported to have said, just a little bit more. <laughs> Jesus' way is different. Jesus' way is done with a God's eye view. 
having all power, all glory, all majesty, Jesus has no need to grasp for more. Rather, he pours himself out for the life of the world. He pours himself out for us, for our life. Jesus held lightly to the things of this world, knowing that the path of life led straight through death and resurrection, that there was something better. Having heard these difficult words, including a call to discipleship, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain, and there they see a side of him that's only been hinted at so far. They see him in his divinity, in his glory, the fullness of it. Jesus, of course, is fully human, but he is also fully divine, and they see that divinity on the mountaintop. Not just as the man Jesus now, but as God and Lord of the cosmos, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. There they see a vision of God's kingdom come in its fullness. The transfiguration is a confirmation to them in a low moment. It's also a confirmation to us contemporary disciples that Jesus is who he says he is and that he is trustworthy. Jesus gives us life, a life that does not cower in the face of death. Because of that, we are freed from holding the things of this world so tightly, we can hold them lightly. We do not have to fear loss because in Christ we have everything. He calls us to follow, to boldly take up our own death, take up your cross. Can you imagine what what might what the room must have been like after he said that? That you could have heard a pin drop. Jesus calls us, and as he called his disciples, to follow, boldly take up our own death and follow him in the path of life. Those who lose their life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. This doesn't have to be a literal loss of life, and in the vast majority of cases it isn't. It's more like the, lit- it's like the living sacrifice that Paul encourages the Church of Rome to be, the members of the Church of Rome Present yourselves as a living sacrifice, brothers and sisters. This is your worship. Such life, a life of discipleship, a life of following Jesus, is done in response to God's amazing grace. It's done in response to God's gift of new life in Christ. It's done in response to the forgiveness of our sins. It's done in freedom not out of obligation, in joy, not out of dread. Such has a way, has a God's eye, such a life has a God's eye view of ourselves and of our world. That invitation is for all of us who are gathered here today in his name. As we receive Jesus and his gifts of forgiveness and life and word, bread and wine, We get an invitation to follow, not to lead, not to be number one, not to hold tightly onto what we have, not to be afraid, but to follow him, trusting that he is trustworthy and will lead us to resurrection on the other side. Beloved of God, freedom is here. Life is here.
Jesus is here. Thanks be to God.